Hey, this episode of the Duct Tape Marketing Podcast is brought to you by Rev.com. We do all of our transcriptions here on the Duct Tape Marketing Podcast using Rev.com, and I'm going to give you a special offer in just a bit. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Duct Tape Marketing Podcast. This is John Jansen. My guest today is Brian Dean. He is the founder of Backlinko.com, a place where you can get actionable SEO advice. In fact, I so highly endorse it and his work that you can find my picture on the homepage saying so. Um, and he's coming to us today from uh, the little country of Genovia, somewhere in Eastern Europe. So, Brian, thanks for joining me. Hey, good to be here, John. You, you missed the joke. Where are you? Really, oh, oh, where are you? Really I'm, in Lis- from? I'm in Lisbon. <laughs> in, in Lisbon. So I was just going to let it slide. Yeah, I was so, like, what? <laughs> Gen- Genovia is the fictitious country. You surely you know this. In Princess Diaries, uh, oh, Anne Hathaway, right. great movie. Sorry, I uh, and Andre the Giant. <laughs> so, so no, uh, no pop culture reference just went right by you. Yeah, yeah. I'll keep those out of the rest of the interview. Just <laughs> <laughs> so you know, I did actually have a question. This is my own curiosity. You know, a lot of SEO folks do. You know, you're you're look. You have a lot of clients in the U.S. I'm assuming. I actually don't do client work. Oh, okay, right. You do. You have gotten out of that. Just courses. So, if somebody was in your shoes. Um, and, and, or just even somebody like myself, I live in Kansas City, Missouri. I have clients in Canada and different places. What's the best way to, 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 uh, localize results. So in other words, if you're trying to check on results and track results, sometimes it's a little challenging if your IP address is in Kansas City, Missouri. So what I, I was just curious, um, if you were doing work in your, uh, for, you know, us companies, are there tools out there that would, or, or hacks that would allow you to kind of see what people in Kansas City, Missouri would see or people in Canada would see? Yep. Yeah. So there's a couple of ways to do it. The, if you just want to get U.S. results and you're not that concerned with the, the very geographic area, like a state or a city, you can use a site I use all the time. It's like, you know, when you if you open your browser and it suggests like the top sites you go to, this is how much of an SEO nerd I am. It's called proxysite.com. I wouldn't even link to them in the show notes, John. It's kind of like a shady site, but what it is basically it's like a web proxy. So you can go to Google, use an IP address that's in the States and search through it. And the cool thing is, is that it's not a VPN. So it doesn't have your browser history or any of that stuff influencing it. It's almost like a virtual machine, like using some other computer. So the results are really good. They're just like totally unaltered by anything else. So when I think of like, where do you rank? That's for me, the gold standard. Yeah, because a lot of times people people don't realize your your browser history. You know, I search all my favorite sites all the time, and so you know, in my view of search, they're going to probably rise to the top, aren't they? Oh, definitely. So that's a big part of it, especially a page that you visited before. Google will will bump that up big time. So yeah, I mean, you you definitely want to go. That's the easiest way because you can just check. If you want to get really into the nitty gritty, like someone searching in Kansas City, you can use a VPN. Like, um, I don't want to endorse any, but there's tons of them and you can just find the city and state that you're in or near and then search through, um, an incognito window in Chrome or a private window in Firefox. And that's basically what that person would see if they search for that. So it's, you know, rankings fluctuate all the time and all that stuff, but you're getting a really good idea of what it looks like. I'm bummed out sometimes because I see, you know, pages of my own, you know, I think, oh, look, that's ranking really high. And then I do an incognito and it's like not on page one anymore. I'm like, dang it. Yeah, that's happens to me. That's why I go to proxy site because it's really fast. And I only check through there because then I don't have that 
like I've had that happen to me a million times. So yeah. So we're in the middle of 2019 when we were recording this um, show and you have a new course or you've relaunched your course on SEO training. I guess the question just because there is some evolution going on all the time, you know, what's kind of new big news in, in the world of SEO in general? So I'd say the big shift that's happening right now is user intent and Google's ability to measure that and our, the importance of creating your site with user intent in mind. So basically what that means is the better your site can match what someone wants when they search for something, the higher it's going to rank. So all the traditional stuff, like including your keyword on the page and getting links and having a brand and all that stuff will still help you. But at the end of the day, Google is getting really good at figuring out what people want from a search and making sure those results get bubbled to the top and those that don't drop. And actually, over the last year, we increased our organic traffic by like 80% just by going back to old content and totally changing it for user intent. So to give you an example, we had a page that was optimized around the keyword SEO campaign. So John, when you think of someone searching for SEO campaign, what are they? what do you think they are looking for? I would say that they are probably, I mean, they could be looking for somebody to run a campaign for them. They could be looking for an example of a campaign, maybe. Uh, they could be looking for tips. Exactly. So, yeah, it's, it's you know, with that's a good, it's good that you said that, John, because there's no one user intent usually for a keyword. There's multiple. Like, you know, if I'm searching for, you know, keto desserts and you're searching for keto desserts, you might want two different things. You know what I mean? But at the end of the, so there's always going to be multiple user intents. But the point is what I had on the page didn't really satisfy any. So it was what it was, was one example of one link building strategy, not even SEO, just one guy, how he did a link building strategy that I had taught and how it worked for him. And I kind of shoehorned that keyword in there because I knew that people search for it and all the other traditional stuff. And it ranked for a while. Then about two years ago, it got it, it looked like the page got penalized. Like it went from, you know, top five to nowhere. And it's, and it's been hanging out on the third page ever since. And I was like, man, why is what's happening? It has the keywords, it has links, it has all the traditional stuff, but it didn't match user intent. People searching for SEO campaign were landing on it and they wanted what you said. You know, they want uh, an example. They want some sort of template. They don't want a link building case study. It doesn't make any sense. So I went back and totally re reconfigured the page where now it's a step-by-step -step how to create an SEO campaign. I included some of the stuff in the old post in there just so I didn't have to delete it all, but it's literally 90% different. And now it ranks number one for that keyword. Literally, like the next week, it was number one. Google was able to measure. People reacted to it differently, had the updated date, which helped it get a temporary boost, and it stuck because it satisfied user intent. And you just you – you just said a whole bunch of things there <laughs> that uh, um, that I think come under the category of going back and repurposing your content because there are a lot of people that that you know listen to folks like you and me and they started blogging a long time ago and they've got a hundred blog posts that you know they wrote ten for the last eight ten years that they haven't really gone back and looked at they haven't seen ways to sort of internally link them and 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 so I think for a lot of folks. They could get a huge boost just by going back and, and refreshing old content, couldn't they? Definitely. I, I would even put that under the category of like what's big right now in SEO because I just came across an agency that's all they do. So they don't, they're an SEO, mar, you know, digital marketing agency. At the end of the day, it comes back to SEO, as you know. They're, they're basically an SEO agency and all they do is update your old content. 
they position it a little differently. You know, they do X, Y, and Z because there is kind of a lot to it. But the point is that when you sign up as a client, they don't create any new content for you. They don't set up your social media. They don't optimize your, your site. All they do is go back to your old stuff and re-optimize it and, and make it a better fit for user intent. And they're getting awesome results because it's so much faster to do that than to start from scratch and start, okay, let's come up with a hundred keywords. Let's hire freelance writers. Let's make sure we have screenshots and then publish it slowly over the course of weeks and months. You can do it in, in days and get a huge lift on some important pages. So yeah, I would even put that into the category of like what's working right now at the top. And, and if you combine it with updating it, but also saying, how can I make this better and better match the keyword, what someone wants, it's a winning combo. Well, and I would add to that restructuring too, because I tell you where we've gotten huge, huge <laughs> mileage is by taking that content, updating it, but then linking it all together. I mean, in a logical way. So, you know, creating what I've been calling hub pages that, you know, are like the ultimate guide to local marketing. And I basically, you know, create it as an outline or a course, you know, table of contents almost, and then link all of that content back together so that it, you know, becomes like a little separate hub, you know, on the site. And, and I think that that restructuring, uh, we, we, we aren't even doing as much as we should be doing to, to re, you know, fresh the content, but just that restructuring immediately sends it through the roof. Nice. Yeah. That's, that's another thing is the internal linking. I'm not, I usually don't, I would say I don't recommend internal linking, but I don't say like you need to internal link because most sites don't have the authority to make it worthwhile. You know, duct tape marketing does because it's a huge respected site with tons of links and it's been around a long time. Um, so when you internal link from page A to page B, it's sending a lot of, of, of link authority to page B, you know, but with most people, they just internal link and nothing's really going around. You know what I mean? It's like a pipe with nothing in it. But I was, I was going to say the further part of that though, is the, is the structure. So it's not just an internal link. I mean, you're right. Those are nice, but, but we're setting these up almost as table of contents for a topic um, that, you know, makes sense. I mean, there's probably 2000 words on that page, you know, but then links off to, you know, in a very logical way. Um, and I think what, what a lot of times people, you know, we, we get so fixated on the SEO value and we forget sometimes about the utility of that for the person who actually comes to that page, who then, you know, clicks on 10 pages, bookmarks it, shares it, <laughs> um, you know, dwells on it for, you know, an hour. Um, and I think that, that to me, you know, that's the part that sometimes people miss when we start talking about SEO is that you, when you get actual users, what they do on the page is is so important as well. Yeah, that's a really good point. And it's almost like a resource page 2.0, right, that you're creating. It's like it, the page itself has content to help you, but it, it's an intro to something greater, you know, your other resources that you already have. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking to do more of that myself. I did a little bit of that. I have a, a guide called How to Learn SEO. And it does link out to some other sites, but it's mostly my own stuff. And it's for that exact reason. Like if someone wants to learn SEO, I didn't have a page to send them to be like, here's the stuff you need to read. There, was, there wasn't one place to send them. So now there is. So that's a really good idea. I'm, I plan actually doing more of that for these different topics because that, went, that worked really well, kind of similar to what you saw. When we approached it with, this is a valuable resource, but more importantly, it links to this other stuff. So it's like one-stop shopping. Yeah, and then as you pointed out, you know, we do link to some external resources and then you know, we'll reach out to those external resources and say, look at this amazing page that ranks really highly and we link to you. You ought to link to it. And amazingly, some of them do. 
This episode of the Duct Tape Marketing Podcast is brought to you by Rev.com. There are so many ridiculously valuable reasons to order transcriptions. You can write entire blog posts. Heck, you could write an entire book by just speaking it and having Rev put together a transcript that you can then just bring on home. I mean, if you want to record a meeting so that you have notes, again, over and over, there are so many good reasons. If you just want to take notes when you're listening to something and you just want to record those notes and get it, it's it's amazing um, what the reasons you can find for doing this. And Rev gets those transcripts. As I said, they, they do our podcast. They get those transcripts back to you lightning fast. And I'm going to give you a free trial offer. Uh, if you go to rev.com slash blog slash DTM, and that'll be in the show notes too, but uh, you're going to get a $100 coupon to try them out, and I suggest you do it. So let's uh, let's debunk some myths. Are there, are, are there any myths still hanging around from kind of first version of SEO that, that people are still uh, propagating? Hmm, that's a good question. I mean, there are so many. The issue is choosing one. So, <laughs> I mean, there's a hundred uh, because the thing is, SEO it got it got people kind of crazy. You're 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 t- <laughs> kind of getting there before when you're saying you got to remember users at the end of the day. But it's easy with the SEO stuff to completely forget users and just kind of act like crazy. I was there. I'm not coming from a judgmental place because when I started in SEO, I launched my first site in 2008. Um, I had I lived in a little apartment in New York. My favorite marketing book was Duct Tape Marketing. I had it in my bedroom, believe it or not, back then. And I was like, SEO, you need to do SEO. And I didn't even think about creating an awesome site, creating awesome content. It was all about like tricking the algorithm. And I didn't really break that bad habit until 2012. So um, to answer your question, I would say the number one myth that people have is that Google likes a a site that has a lot of content coming out all the time. This kind of like big site, fresh content, need a lot of content myth that Google somehow has this preference for these big sites. It's really not true. Um, I've worked with sites that pump out 10 articles a day. I've worked with some that publish once a week or once every two weeks. And there's no correlation. It's all about creating stuff that Google users want. And sometimes if you can swing it, like if you have a staff and you have a writing staff and you have an editorial process, you can put out multiple pieces of content a day that all check those boxes. But for most small businesses, including mine, you know, it's better to stay small. I'll give you a good example. Um, the last, like you mentioned, John, we just had a launch of my course. And to do that, we sent a lot of emails. So we didn't publish anything on the blog for about a month now or three weeks, almost a month. And organic traffic has actually stayed remarkably consistent across a month. It's like 0.5% higher than it was before without publishing anything. So Google doesn't care that we didn't publish anything because everything we already have is satisfying users and it continues to rank. And that's where most sites traffic come from. So yeah, I'm not saying don't publish anything ever again, but the idea that this, you need to like have this pedal to the metal publishing philosophy, I think it does a lot more harm than good. Yeah, because it, it, it actually taught people to publish crap. Yeah, exactly. That's what it came to. Yeah, exactly. So it's it, because it was Thursday and you got to publish on Thursday, you know, and you don't have anything good to say. So it's, you know, five reasons why X is important type of stuff. Um, yeah. And and because it did actually work for a while, like there was an update called Google Caffeine back in the day. It's probably 2006 that 
did give a preference to not just fresh content, but sites that were putting out stuff. But then blogs blew up and it's just, it didn't make any sense because every site was doing that. You know, what didn't need to be in the algorithm anymore. Yeah. And, and it really became important for them to start focusing on quality, uh, them being the search engines um, to focus on quality. And I think that that probably goes more towards this idea of less, but better. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, because you think Google 2006, 2007, if you search for like a really niche keyword, like, you know, how to write a press release or something, there were some results, but there weren't that many. Like they, they didn't have 10 awesome results to put on the front page. Now they have plenty. So it's all about curating the best 10. And if you just put out the one, the 50th best, you're going to be in 50th place in Google. But if you work that extra mile to make the best, you have a shot of hitting number one. Okay, Brian. Not, not of course, in the last 10 years or so, but did you ever put any words on pages and make them the same color as the background? Uh, no, that was one thing. I, I mean, I've done black hat stuff, but I never did that. That was always my favorite. You'd go look at a website and then, and you'd look at the source code and you'd go, what is all this stuff? They just have the same keyword like a hundred times, <laughs> but you couldn't see it. Yeah, no, I never, I never did that. I've done, you know, blog networks and whatever, but that did, I mean, if it worked, I would have done it. But by the time I got into SEO, that was already kind of old hat. Since you mentioned blog networks, um, you know, Google has, has explicitly said they're a no, no, you know, particularly, I mean, there are some that some ideas that it's good content that's, you know, that's curated, but there certainly are people that are doing it just as an SEO play and Google's saying, um, no, no, but the challenge is, they can't police it that well and it works. I mean, so, you know, how, because I, I run across small business owners all the time that have been sold stuff like that, that Google is saying, you know, we don't approve of that, um, but it's hard to sell them off of it because they're like, well, look, <laughs> look at the results it's getting. So, you know, how do, how does one sort of handle the the fine line between what works and, you know, guidelines? Yeah, it's, it's a tough one. And the funny thing, good rule of thumb that I like to keep in mind is when Google says not to do something, it's because it works. If it didn't work, they wouldn't have to warn you, right? But, but I guess it would also eventually signal that they're going to spank you eventually, right? Yeah, it's kind of a, a shot across the bow. You know, they warned people for years before 2012. They had an update called Penguin that just destroyed websites, including my own, from back in the day. Um, so, yeah, they... But at the same time, they wouldn't warn against it. So they're, if they're saying don't do this, it means yeah, it's working. Um, so it is – they know it. And they're like, hmm, well, we can't really alg stop it with the algorithm, so we'll warn people until we figure something out that the algorithm can do. Um, what I would say to people is just the risk just usually isn't worth it. I What I like to do with people – I usually say, you know what? It's up to you. I don't, I don't want to get it on my high horse and start telling people what's right and wrong. I say, look, it's your business. It's your site. It's your call. If I were you, I wouldn't risk it because what you're doing is you're getting a tiny boost in organic traffic and a, a lot of times compared to what you would do if you did this, put in the same effort with White Hat stuff. But you have this uh, sort of Damocles above your head that, that – one day you could wake up and it goes to zero. And as someone that's been through that, I can tell you it's devastating. That usually is like kind of plants, at least plants a seed. We're like, hmm, maybe there's something to not doing this. Yeah, and, and, and you know, it's a shortcut that is probably zero benefit for your customer. Um, and, and, you know, there are a lot of businesses out there, the SEO folks that, you know, they're trying to get their folks to rank. That turns into customers. 
But that's the way I always view it is like, is this something that would make my site more useful to customers? And, and if the answer is just flat out, no, I think that's a pretty good rule of thumb too. Yeah, I agree. Another one I, I sometimes, I don't know where I heard this, but it was basically like, one of the SEOs when, which is, you know, legit way to go about ranking is where you could show Google everything you're doing and they'd be fine with Anything that's not that is probably black hat. Like if, you know, you're, you're getting away with it, but if Google was like, they did some sort of audit, they like, show us everything you do with SEO, and there was something you couldn't show them, that's probably something you should get away from, in my opinion. So I wonder if we could take about five minutes, and I'm going to put put you a little bit on the spot for a case study, you know, type of idea. Um, because... You know, you can read a book how to do SEO, but the fact of the matter is what your business does, what your business objectives are, you know, is going to dictate maybe what your priority should be in SEO. So, for example, you know, a B2B national company that sells, say, like software, um, as opposed to a B2C, you know, local company that does, I don't know, basement waterproofing, <laughs> their, their SEO needs, challenges, priorities are probably different. Do you, given that example, um, could you kind of say, yeah, that national company, software company needs to focus on XYZ, whereas that local company probably needs to make sure they focus from an SEO standpoint on, you know, ABC. Is that enough for you to kind of give us yep. some guidance? Plenty. So, yeah. So the B2B software company, I would 100% focus on creating content that your customers around keywords that your customers search for. So, you know, you're a SaaS company, you hopefully already talk to users all the time and customers all the time. It's a matter of figuring out what they're searching for when they're not searching for your software. So HubSpot's a great example. Very few people are searching for like CRM software or, you know, CMSs, the stuff that they actually sell. Most people that are HubSpot's customers are small business owners that are searching for stuff like how to get leads, how to blog, how to run get Google AdWords campaigns, how to run Facebook ads, all that stuff. And HubSpot has actually has completely crushed by almost ignoring these buyer keywords, which are only a tiny percentage of what people search for and focusing instead on these informational keywords, getting in front of their customers and then getting them in, as a lead and then closing them on the phone. That's their whole business model and it works really well. That's what I would focus on as a B2B SaaS company. There's tons that have grown this way. Um, but HubSpot to me is the best example because they're just absolutely crushing it. Um, well, and I, and I think the key there is they focus not, I mean, because nobody wants what we sell. They want their problem solved. And, and so they focus on what all the problems are, particularly problems you know early in the journey that can sort of endear them and get them on the path and get them thinking, HubSpot, who are these HubSpot people? Um, and I think that's a that's a real key. You know, most websites are are optimized for that person who's you know got their credit card out ready to buy because they think your your product or service solves their problem. And and I think they miss the entire journey you know, up to that point. Exactly. There there are those people, and you should have pages on your site dedicated to them. But it's a slice. It's a tiny drop in the ocean. You know, if you look at like the number of people who search for, you know. Uh, CRM software versus how to get customers, you know, it, it's like a thousand, 10,000 to one. So for every one customer you're going to get from this direct credit card in hand type of person, you can get hundreds from 
the how to get leads and how to grow, how to get customers. It'll take a little longer. You have to nurture them, but that's where the real money is. HubSpot's a great example. So on this uh, B2C, this basement waterproofing company that just does business in their town, what, what do they need to focus on? So they should focus 100% on local SEO. So Google, local, uh, you know, not they're creating content makes no sense for them for, you know, people searching for how to finish a basement or how to prevent leaks and all that stuff. A lot of companies do that because uh, they'll take the HubSpot approach and apply it to their their local business. And it just makes no sense. They just put out like I had a guy email me last week. It was a locksmith. And he emailed me with this article. Oh, I'm a locksmith. And I just created this awesome post that I know people will share. If only I could get the word out, what should I do to promote it? So I don't know. I was kind of bored. So I checked out, I looked at the post and it was like five ways to not get locked out of your house. Like the stupidest thing I've ever read. Something like, you know, don't forget your keys and just nonsense. First of all, no one would ever read that. But even if it was good, it wouldn't really help him, you know what I mean? Because he's in a local area and the odds of that person in that area searching for him, needing a locksmith, it just doesn't, the stars just don't align. Um, so yeah, I'd focus on Google local and getting awesome reviews. That's at the end of the day. Yeah, so Google My Business. Yeah, Google My Yeah, to be clear, sorry. Google My Business. They change the name every week. But yeah, the, the one I've stuck with lately, Google My Business. So local SEO. So people searching for, you know, your business in city. The reviews are a big part of that and links links are part of it. So you do want to get links, but you don't need nearly as many to rank in a local city. So for example, instead of like HubSpot creating a blog about this and that and or about basements and how to man caves and all the stuff I've seen people do for basement companies, all you really need is like one or two pages that people will want to link to. It could be a list of Places to visit in your town. You know, it could be, it's just link bait. Customers will never probably even see this. If they do, they'll be like, oh, it's great. This is helpful. Things to do in your town or other vendors or have a partnership or go to an event or speak at your chamber of commerce. Like these are all things that aren't really content as we usually see it. They're just pages to get some links that can help your overall website rank higher. That's should be the goal for that company. Yeah, unfortunately for a lot of businesses, particularly the consumer, you know, businesses. Uh, I mean, if you're not showing up in that maps listing, which is you know kind of small these days, it's a three pack now. So it used to be seven. It was called a seven pack, right? And now it's a three pack. It's, I mean, there are instances where you can do like if people search in Google Maps, you can somehow. It depends on you know what you're searching for. You can see more than three. But you're right, John. For most keywords that are indirectly in Google. If you're not in the top three, you're kind of invisible. And the uh, you know the seventy percent of people that are visiting those sites on a mobile device uh, today, you know that's the whole screen. <laughs> so it uh, makes it it makes it even tougher. So I, I I think you're absolutely right. I've been saying it for years. And Google, you know, now I, I do think they're set on this one because they keep in, they're actually investing in it and adding to it and and tweaking it. So I think I think in fact here's my prediction. I think they I I think they're going to start rolling out features. To, to make that a social network. So in a, in a community, I think, I think your clients are going to be able to actually talk to each other at some aspect through your Google My Business page. That's just sort of my prediction. Yeah, that'd be interesting. So it's and more than just reviews. They'd actually be able to say, well, I had this problem. Did they help? You know, things like that. Exactly. They'll have the question and answer, you know, feature. They'll have the, you know, upload your, you know, your finished basement, you know, picture to it. And so I, I think they're going to make it, I don't know if it'll ever be a social network, but I think it's going to be their approach to 
kind of network, uh, you know, small businesses together. Cool. Yeah, I, I can see it. One, and, and this is unfair because this is my last question I'm going to ask you, and we could have done a whole show on this. Um, you've invested a lot recently in uh, video. And so, again, thinking of those two, let's just use those two B2B, that SaaS company and that uh, waterproofing company. How would video help them um, in in their telling their story and their SEO um, play? So the B2B company, it would be really similar to the content strategy. But the only difference would be, what are your customers watching on YouTube instead of what are they searching for on Google? But it's the same idea. But there's a decept- but there's a huge difference in some cases between those two things. Like because YouTube is a big search engine, yes, but most of the views on YouTube come from people browsing around, come from suggested videos, the homepage. So it's important to create videos around what people tend to watch and not just what they search for. So both. So with the B2B company, it's a SaaS company. I mean, it depends on what it is, but you basically take those same topics you found for your blog content and see if people are watching that stuff on YouTube. If so, great. If not, it's time to get back to the users and, and kind of figure out what they're watching on YouTube. As long as it's somewhat related to your business, you can do well. Can you do keyword research well just using YouTube for that type of thing, or are there some tools that somebody needs to employ to kind of get that discovery made? To You mean to find search volume, people searching? Or people browsing. And what, yeah, what people are actually looking at. So for the search volume stuff, there are some tools that can do it. Google doesn't really provide YouTube search volume, really. So they do like impressions and things like that. So it's tricky to know how many people search for something in YouTube. It's not like the Google Keyword Planner where they tell you, you know, a range. It's really, there are some tools that can guesstimate, but none are super accurate. What I like to do is just look at how many views those videos have on that topic. So, you know, if you search for like how to write a press release and the number one video has 3,800 views and it was from five years ago, it's probably no one's watching that stuff, you know, but if it has 200,000, it's like, oh, well, there's something here. So that's usually how I determine whether to make a video. If there's already a video on that topic that's done well, that's a good sign. So for the, the basement company, what I would actually recommend is looking to see if there are any keywords that people search for in your local area that show, that have videos that show up. This is an old trick that used to work and it still does in a lot of local areas. Uh, I see lawyers use it a lot. Well, what they'll do is they'll basically create like a keyword optimized video about their service or maybe more helpful, like how to help with the situation. And then the YouTube video will rank in Google results. So then you have two results in Google. You have your three pack or regular organic, and then you have YouTube. Um, so what people would do is, for example, with like um, a basement company, a lot of times they'd create this fluff you know, two minute video about how great they are. Show the guys go into the house. Hey, how's it going? Go downstairs. They're fixing the basement. It's amazing. They fixed it, blah, blah, blah. And you can have some of that stuff, but it shouldn't really be a commercial. You know, it should be some content that is helpful and keep people engaged. That way, YouTube and Google will see that people are engaging with the video and they're more likely to put it on the first page. So it's that's more of a play to get on Google. It's not really like you're trying to get in front of your target customer while they're watching videos. Like they only need you if something's wrong with their basement and they're not going to remember your video from two years ago. It doesn't work like that. But if you can show up on YouTube it's in, in, on Google, it's another spot, more real estate for your business, which is important at that point of purchase time. Yeah. And then of course that person probably should be buying some ads too, but uh, that's a topic oh, yeah. for a whole nother day. Yeah. That's true. <laughs> Well, Brian, thanks so much for joining us. You can find um, everything about Brian Dean at Back 
Linko. So it's like link with an O dot uh, com. You anywhere else or any other resources you want to um, share today, Brian? Oh, that's a good one. I would head over there and hop on the newsletter. That's the only thing I'd recommend. Yeah, and take a look at how Brian structures his site and focuses on his site because you can learn a lot just from paying attention to that. So, Brian, great to uh, catch up with you, and uh, hopefully uh, all is well and the weather's good in Genovia. (laughs) Thanks, John. I'll remember that for our next podcast. (laughs) Take care.